Turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We all know the story. And I'll, I'll, I'll phrase it like this. And we'll look at verses 14. We're going to skip around from verses 14 on to actually 71. So it's a lot of verses in here. We're talking about what happened to the crowd. Last week, I want to ask you, how many of you set the Lord before you every day? How many of you did that? Don't worry, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you set the Lord before you? We're talking about the awareness of the presence of the Lord in our lives. He's here right now. And I believe, obviously, in many ways that, that as, as, as the glory of Jesus comes closer and closer, is that there will be a, a greater reality experientially of the presence of the Lord in our lives. People need to be able, the Bible talks about in John, said if you'll believe, then you'll see the glory of God and open our eyes to the glory of God. But I'll get up in the morning and I'll say, good morning, Father, good morning, Jesus, good morning, Holy Spirit. Throughout the day, I'm talking to him at various times and I try to bring in and narrow the gaps of time where I'm, I'm thinking about other things because I'm a, I, can, I can chew gum and walk also at the same time. Trust me, you may not think I can, but I can chew gum and walk at the same time. In other words, I can take and talk to the Lord and I can do other tasks at the same time. I do that and I talk to him. I want to be aware of his presence. He's here all the time he's with me, he's in you, the Holy Spirit of God who will be in you and who will be with you. And so I wanted to be aware of his presence always because he's with you. You think sometimes you do things in secret, you do not. He's there. He's not there with a stick in heaven ready to knock you down. He just wants you to know he knows what's best. And he's drawing his people. He's beginning to woo people into his presence in a way that maybe we've never experienced before. And I look forward to that time, too. So continue to open your heart to the Lord. But this morning, we're going to look at what happened to the crowd. Jesus, remember, he, he fed the 5,000. <clears> remember, the greatest, probably one of the greatest miracles there have ever been. He fed the 5,000. And then, obviously, uh, the people began to really follow him because they were following him for the miracles. Well, obviously, it pointed to God, and he was doing that to show that he was really, uh, really God there in the flesh and yet the people began to follow him they were excited about his his presence with them and so forth and so we want to look at today because i believe this is pointing to us and this is saying something to us and the season of time that we're living in you and i have to know that when we go through life there'll be times we're excited about the lord but there will be some challenging times that we walk through him we talked about several uh, weeks ago about life can get tough and that's reality there. And so we see these people following Jesus. Uh, they had different uh, motives and they had different responses. And maybe we could look at our own lives today and our relationship with Jesus Christ and kind of look at how uh, we view him and, and who he is to us. And, and really our commitment to Jesus Christ. Because I want to tell you, I don't believe it's going to get any easier. It's not a piece of cake. It's tough. Life is tough, and there are things that, that are thrown our way day in and day out and all. And, and it's not done, obviously, in any way that we, and Jesus is, is saying, basically, he's not doing it to destroy us. Remember, I've always said this, but he's doing us to work something in our hearts and lives that can only be done through testing 
through times when we're obviously may possibly even persecuted, whatever it may be, he's making us into his image because that is Romans chapter 8. And so don't we, we want to look at this today. Maybe we can examine our own lives when we, we think about it. We look, we're looking here, and Jesus is saying that he is the bread of life. And they're all thinking about it in the natural and we too also, as we go through life, we think sometimes too much in the natural. And we need to get our eyes on, on the, the spiritual upon those things, the eternal aspect of life. We're actually seeing some, uh, some DVDs uh, on, on Wednesday night about uh, the book of Revelation and what it will be like when, when uh, Jesus comes back. And, and obviously we'll have resurrected bodies at that time and he'll, he'll go in and and obviously drive the Antichrist out of the temple, and all the believers will be with him. It'd be just many, many, many believers will be with him, and we'll come, and the new Jerusalem will be set up, and we will come and rule and reign in the new Jerusalem. Jesus will give us certain positions because I believe of our faithfulness here on this earth. And so when we look at this, this old world and how we're scooting through life as we always talk about a lot of times it can be really depressing it can be obviously we're going like this is not where it's at and it's not we've got to keep our eyes on jesus and during this time of preparation maybe as we've always said that this is just a dress rehearsal for eternity god is preparing you and i obviously as the bride of christ oh the bride of christ you know, the one reason, obviously, Jesus came is that he wants a bride. He, he wants that. He doesn't have to have humanity, but he wants a bride. He wants a bride that's faithful to him, a bride that will follow him and, and to be with him throughout all eternity. Think about it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He, he came down from his royalty he didn't have to. He came to save mankind from their sins. He came to bring salvation. And obviously, he, he longs to have that relationship with you and with all who will call upon the name of the Lord. Anyone who will surrender and just say, Lord, I need you and look his way. I believe that the door of their heart is cracked and the, and the floodgates of heaven will come in as they open their hearts to Jesus. And so he longs for us, but there's a higher purpose. When you think about it, in preparation as the bride of Christ, he, he's the groom, we're the bridegroom, we're the bride here. And think about that, how wonderful that will be. And you keep your focus on that. It'll help you through life because when you face some real challenges, you know, uh, you wonder, what is all this about? It's preparation. All of it's preparation. We see here, this crowd was following. They're so excited about Jesus, their king, and so forth. In verse 14, it says, Surely this is the prophet who is to come. You know, Moses had prophesied that God would raise up a prophet like himself to lead God's people into liberty. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers, and you must listen to him. Surely this is the Messiah, they said. Now, they're all excited because they believe that Jesus is going to free them from the tyranny of Rome. They, they believe that Jesus is going to come and make life a little easier for them. Boy, they've been... 
they've been task, under taskmasters, so to speak, in that way. And, and they're under the bondage there of, of Rome. And, and, and they're under captive there. And their excite, excitement is based upon what? It's based upon, obviously, what they'd already seen Jesus do, the healings and the miracles and the feeding of the 5,000 here. But mostly their excitement was based upon what they expected Jesus to do for them. You know, you think about it. They've seen him do all these things. They've seen compassion like they never had before. They've seen a man who loved people like that. He had some stern words, though, definitely. But they saw him do all of these things. And obviously, and life could get really good under Jesus' leadership, according to the crowd. And so they were excited here. But here we see here is the assumption behind the excitement are, is crucial here, you know. Think about it. If I think in my heart that maybe around 1 o'clock is a real rich man is going to deliver a million-dollar check to my door, and I'm there, and I stand at that door, and I'm waiting on that, I'm really excited. Man, I know he's coming. I've already in my own heart played it out that this person, very rich, is going to bring and leave me a check for a million dollars. And here one o'clock comes, and it goes, and there's nobody with that check in their hand. Well, obviously what's happened is I have come under a false assumption. I've come under something that really was not going to happen here. And think about it in these people's lives. The same thing is the issue here. They had thought of Jesus differently because they had actually assumed that Jesus had come to be their political leader. And their assumption that Jesus has come to make life easier for them and the assumption that Jesus had come to give them what they wanted. And a lot of times you see Christians will come in the same way. Now God answers prayer, praise God. And God supplies way beyond the blessings of the Lord are just, multi I mean, they're multiplied in my life and your life. You're here today and... Uh, you know, you got up and you had a house to live in and all these things. And, and God blesses those. But a lot of times we assume that God is going to do something that really is not true. And so something way along the way, we get disappointed. We start obviously getting disappointed. And this is what was happening to the crowd here. And, and they went around and, and I'll cut through a lot of this, but I want to tell you, they began to get disappointed because God wasn't doing what they wanted him to do, and they began to grumble. They began to fall away. They began to grumble. So the excited crowd then became the grumbling crowd. How many people, and working in hospice for all those years that I did, that I came in and people, and I'd say, do you have a church? And No, we don't have a church. We used to go to church, but you, Jim, I'll tell you right now, said, I'll never darken the church doors again in my life. Because I said, why? Can you tell me why? It's because, you know, I prayed for my mother. And I prayed that God would heal my mother. And God didn't heal my mother. And I prayed about this and that. How many people have I seen? I'll tell you, I can't even count the number of people who prayed a certain way and so forth. And their particular prayer and the way they wanted answered was not answered. And they got so disappointed with God as they said, I'll never go back in the church house again. A lot of people are like that. They have some type of assumption that maybe God is this genie in the bottle. 
And then we can make him do what, we, what obviously we want him to do. And nothing could be further from the truth. Yes, he supplies all of our riches according to his glory in Christ Jesus. Yes, he blesses us and we're more than conquerors. Yes, he does all these things. But a lot of times we assume the wrong things. We believe, you remember, we have to keep in mind he's God and we're not. We need to keep in mind that he knows what's best for us and he knows exactly, tailor-made, whatever trial you're going through, whatever it may be that he is allowed to sift through his hands, obviously. It may even be the enemy that has done it, trust me. But he's had to allow the enemy somehow to come in to teach you spiritual warfare, to be able to teach you and get stronger. And obviously the, the response of spiritual warfare is that we get stronger in the Lord. Amen. We get stronger. Life doesn't sometimes turn out the way we thought it, it would. We talked about it several weeks ago. What happened when Harvey came? What was going on? And I said, Lord, what is this? Is, what? You know, I said, is this you? Is there judgment coming? Or is this the enemy? What is it? And it was like, and I don't believe it was the Lord, but I believe in my own heart. I said, what difference does it make? It happened. We need to make the best of it. And, and he's looking to see how we respond to these trials and these testings that we go through. A lot of times we don't like it and we walk away from God. You see, sometimes even after 9-11, remember, the church houses seem to be full with people. They kind of came in for just a very short period of time and then they drifted away again. <clears throat> Everybody got afraid because we had seen terrorism on our shores and yet, we see today many people have drifted away from the Lord because they somehow, they, they eventually were excited about the Lord. They'd accepted Jesus Christ into their life. And they said, but yet somehow in that, it was such a shallow commitment to what decision they made intellectually that they walked away and they began to grumble. Because you see, what happens is you begin to drift away from the Lord and it seems to be that it snowballs. It gets worse and worse, and God is wanting to draw you back. And yet, many times, all we want to do is grumble. And the crowd, they were grumbling. In verse 28, listen to what he says. What must we do to do the works that God requires? Okay, Jesus, what do you want us to do? We want you to be our king, and how do we get this show on the road? How do we get it started here? What must we do to do the works that you want us to do? Now here the sent one, Jesus, the Messiah, was standing before them, revealing himself as, the, as he truly is. And if they really will accept him as he really is, if they will abandon their own agenda and allow him to truly lead, if they will place all their trust in him and simply obey him because of their confidence in him, everything else will fall into place. Now what is that? Real simply... It's called surrender. When you and I got saved, we were bought with a price. We're no longer our own. God takes responsibility. Now, we partner with the Holy Spirit of God, yes, and His power. But He takes the responsibility in our lives. And He has not abandoned you. If Hebrews 13, 5 is true, which I believe the Word of God is, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never, never, never then he is with us always. And so he's doing something much deeper than sometimes uh, outward appearance uh, can, can observe. He's doing something deep in our hearts and lives. And he's with us. 
but it takes surrender. And you know what? I believe that surrender is a daily surrender, okay? I don't believe it's just once there when you said, yes, Lord, I accept you in my life. I believe in you. I've confessed in my heart that Jesus is Lord and believed them, you know, confessed with my mouth and then believed in my heart that Jesus is Lord and so forth. I believe it's every day is we need to go up. Actually, and I say it like this, I have always is, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Amen? Every day. And sometimes, you know, we forget we're no longer our own. We've been bought with a price, the precious blood of the Lamb. And so when these people, they began to grumble. He wasn't doing what they wanted. And then they began to sort of, well, what are we supposed to do here? Uh, what, what do we got to do to do the works uh, of, uh, of, that you want us to do? Now think about this. I love miracles, and I've seen miracles in my life. I've seen God do supernatural things, and so have you. But miracles do not exactly satisfy. They had seen the 5,000 fed. Nothing wrong with miracles. Love miracles. But it goes deeper, you see. You got to look beyond the miracle. You got to look beyond the healing. You got to look beyond the deliverance. He's doing all of that. And you've got to look to Jesus. And it's a relationship, an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's, obviously, we grow in that relationship with Jesus. He doesn't want us the same today that we were last year at this particular time. He wants us to grow in our relationship. And what does that mean? That means we grow in our confidence and our trust in Him. We grow, we get closer to Him. There's an intimacy with the glorious man who sits at the right hand of the Father. His name is Jesus every day through His Word, through prayer, through our daily lifestyles. And the people here are just basically saying, you need, obviously, you said you're the bread of life, then we need bread, because bread at that particular time of history is very expensive also. They're saying, you're going to give us bread? Like a continual supply of bread? They were still thinking in the natural. And that's what we do many times as Christians. We think in the natural. We can't get our eyes off of that here. Obviously, have you ever tried to make Jesus do something so you'll follow him? Didn't work too good. Now, God's full of grace and mercy, and a lot of times he will do things like that. But you know what? I'm going to lead up to something that I think is so important in this scripture that, is, that I believe will settle it in our hearts and minds today here. And you know, these people were trapped in a materialistic type of mindset. You know, we live in a materialistic type of world here in the United States. We got so much stuff, and people don't need Jesus. We got everything under the world. We've got, obviously, all these storage places because we can't even keep it in our garages. A lot of garages, obviously, are full and boiling over here. We've got so much stuff. A lot of times, all that stuff keeps us from really the relationships that Jesus wants us to have, primarily, first of all with him you know they were trapped in this materialism here and jesus said in in john verse chapter 6 verse 35 within jesus declared i am the bread of life and here he uses i am to declare his deity he's trying to tell them over and over again you're looking in the wrong place you're thinking about the materialistic types of things jesus is using bread to illustrate himself as the giver and sustainer of spiritual life here just as bread, especially in that culture, sustains physical life, 
Jesus is sent down from heaven as the bread that gives and sustains spiritual life here. And rather than embracing Jesus' correction of their understanding of him, they begin to grumble. They're not happy. They're grumbling. He's not doing what they thought. And then what happens, and this will happen in your life and my life, if you don't give God thanks in all circumstances, you'll begin to grumble. And what will happen is you begin to draw back from the Lord. And this is what this crowd began to do. They began to draw back from the Lord. Here we think about it, and here we see the last part of it. We talk about the offended crowd. In verse 50, 52, you can look at it in verse 52. Can you pull that up, Ed? Is 52 comes up? Because this is a, if you have it in your Bible, you can look at it. Thank you. The Jews therefore contended with one another, saying, how can this man, they were calling him rabbi up until this time, now they're offended, and they don't call him rabbi anymore. They said, how can this man, so they are offended because he's not doing what they thought he would do on a false assumption. In other words, they're so carnally minded and can only think in terms of the physical. And that's what happens in Christians' lives today. We get carnally minded. We, we somehow don't crucify the flesh. We don't take up our cross daily and follow him. And we begin to think carnally like the world does. We begin to look at situations like the world does. Instead of what we've talked about in the past is experientially having the mind of Christ and thinking like God and doing like God and saying the word of God, certainly here. You know, he goes on to say, remember the story, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. The sacrifice has to be received. God's means of salvation must be embraced. You want to tell you, I'll tell you right now, there are a lot of churches. Out of their hymn books, they have taken out any song that talks about the blood of Jesus. They've taken it out. You can't talk about the blood of Jesus. And the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. And they've taken it out. They've eliminated it today. The blood, the precious blood of the Lamb cleanses us from all of our sins. And 1 John 1, 9 talks about it. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to cleanse us of all of our sins. We walk in the light as he is in the light. Then we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The blood, the precious, we sing about it. We pray about it. We shout about it. Without the shedding of blood, there cannot be any remission of sin. And why? Because this is God's plan, real simply. I won't go into theologically what it means. Because it's God's plan. They didn't want God's plan. They wanted Jesus to do what they wanted him to do. Now, he's not talking about a physical act here. He's talking about, he's speaking metaphorically. He's talking about a spiritual act of faith whereby we receive the sacrifice of the cross. And the cross is a stumbling block, the Bible says, for those who don't believe. <laughs> but it's power for those who do believe, okay? Wonderful things that happen. So they complain. <clears throat> and Jesus obviously looked at them and says, does this offend you? They were no longer an excited crowd. They had become a grumbling crowd. And then they had become an offended crowd. They didn't like it here, you know. 
He was talking about, really, how to follow him. You see, Jesus is coming looking for disciples. He says, go and make disciples. Go for you, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, and lo, I've commanded you. I'll be with you even to the end of the world. Our Christian life is challenging. But what's that old hymn say? It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Amen? It will be worth it all when we take and stand before the throne of grace. Instead of trying to dictate to God what he, he does in our lives, we obviously can say, Lord, I surrender all. And that and always played at the Billy Graham crusades. I surrender all. I give up. I can't figure it out. We're not God. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Obviously, you may not understand the circumstances that you're experiencing this day. We may not understand why God is allowing us to go through what we're going through. We may be tempted to toss in the towel and give up, but the truth is there's no place to go, remember? They walked away. The crowd left and said, I've had it with this. But then he looked at his disciples and he said, do y'all want to leave also? And remember what they said. He said, where are we going? You have the words of, of life. You have the words of truth. Where are we going to go? And you see, it's the same for you and me today. When you get in the pressure cooker, and I believe a lot of times that crucible that God is, is now, the refiner's fire is being turned up because he burns off all the dross. He's getting rid of the stuff. The closer you get to the a holy God, the more he shows you those little blemishes in your life. And you're saying, that's got to go. You've lived with it all your life. But man, you begin to seek the Lord and you, he begins to reveal to you things in your life that you're going, I didn't even know they were there. And then he gives you the grace to be able to repent of those things and walk away and walk closer to him. You see, he's looking for disciples. Go and make disciples. He's not looking for somebody just to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. It's great. Salvation, wonderful. So I'm talking about followers of Jesus. He said, you all going to leave also? It's getting tough. Getting heat in the kitchen. You going to leave also? And he, they looked and said, where are we going to go? It's the same way we respond. Where are we going to go? You see, if you go back into the world, there's nothing but death in the world. You go back in those times of sin... And we know there, there's a temporary pleasures, and Hebrews 11 talks about it, in, in sin, but it doesn't last. So where are we going to go, Lord? I want to know you. And you see, God is pushing, I believe today, and putting us in a corner to say, who are you going to follow me no matter what? Are you going to get offended and walk away from me? I believe he's saying that today for all of us. I know he's saying it to me. Are you going to be offended? And I start in that sense of saying, this has not worked out the way I thought it would be. Maybe you've lived your whole life and you said, this has not worked out. A lot of times, obviously, we, we have brought the things on ourselves, certainly. But I'm talking about how God's grace can work in your life and my life if we just allow it. We walk away. And yet God is saying, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? Who's going to give you strength for another, uh, another season of life, you see? I believe he's doing something so special in our lives that I can't explain it, but I know one thing. My confidence is in God in my life. Now, it hadn't been easy. 
It hadn't been easy for you guys. But my confidence is in my Lord. Close with this. Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to talk about it because real quick. The Magi. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, wise men came from the east in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who was born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. I'm talking about, I've talked about how God is looking for worshipers. He's looking for people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Hey, just worship him, okay? When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them when Christ should be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are no longer least among the princes of Judah, for out of you shall come uh, a governor who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, carefully inquired of them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again, so that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and the star which they had seen in the east went before them, and it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with great excitement. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down. See, they fell down. And worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But being warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they returned to their own country. Real quickly, we're talking about how we live, how we worship. How can we not come to a place of offending the Lord or getting in a place of offense against him? I believe it's because we worship him. The Magi, they came. They probably came, uh, they believe, about a thousand miles. <laughs> How many miles did y'all come today? <laughs> y'all come a thousand miles? Huh? And they said here, it said when they got there, they were exceedingly glad. They were joyful. Think about it. Now, they may not have come on camels. They were probably Persian, possibly, and they came possibly on horses, but they still came a 1,000 miles. Now, I feel like sometimes I come a 1,000 miles when I come here, <laughs> but I don't. I'm saying this today that so you'll get prepared to worship the king. Oh, gosh. Because we don't come that. They, they came expectant. I've always talked about expectancy. Oh, they were looking for the king. They came. They were magicians. <laughs> they were sorcerers. And they wanted to know Jesus. They came because they'd read about the history there. It had been passed down. They went, came a thousand miles. They were excited. They were exceedingly glad. Amen. Okay. And then, obviously, they were expectant. Okay. They were really expectant about that. And... And then they were very expressive. They came in. And they were exceedingly glad. Man, you're talking about when you look at the Greek, what that actually means? They were shouting for joy. I mean, are you excited about coming to church on Sunday morning? Are you excited about coming in here with God's people? And, and all? it's not about whether or not I get the sermon right or wrong or whatever's the word of God. 
But I'm talking about coming into the presence of the Lord. They were excited about coming into the presence of the Lord. Amen. And they were exceedingly, I mean, they're excited. Something was going on. On the inside, I believe they were trembling. And what's it say? And they fell down in the presence of the king. And actually, the Greek of that means they collapsed. They were shattered. They fell down in the presence of the king. What am I saying here? I'm not trying to change your worship style. I'm trying to speak to you about who our king is. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm talking about when we come in this place, we worship him. And I want to tell you today, I'm not saying to worship like someone else. You worship the way God wants you to. But I give you and release you the freedom today to worship Jesus the way he desires and the way you desire in your relationship with him. When God touched me, and, and this is not about me, so it's not the focus, but it's an example. You know, I, I, I love the worship. I love the praising and sing. I love to hear the music that was played. I love that. And, and all of this, what we have here at Lighthouse Fellowship. And God's setting people free to worship. They fell down, they collapsed, they were shattered in the presence of the Lord. Don't worry about what man thinks. The fear of man is a snare. Worry about it and look at what God thinks and how you worship. I'm just saying. The last thing is they were extravagant. They brought the gold and frankincense and the myrrh, all prophetic meanings to it. What they did was they brought their best. That was actually the best during that time of history. They brought the best. Do you bring the best when you come to meet the king? It's something about, now you can worship the Lord anywhere, and we need to worship 24-7, but I'm talking about it's something special about when we come together corporately because the word of God says don't, don't, uh, Forsake the assembling yourselves together like some have. But encourage one another in the world daily and continually until the Lord comes back. Do you know Jesus today? That's the question. Do you know that Jesus, are you excited about him? But it's moved beyond excited. It's moved into a commitment and saying, I want to follow Jesus. I don't care where he takes me. I don't care where he leads me. Wherever he leads me, I will follow. Is that your heart today? Or have you become offended? Because he hadn't really turned out the way you thought he would turn out. You see, that's the question God puts in our hearts and minds. Are you coming together excited about coming? Because I want to tell you, the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. And then, obviously, Paul says, again I say rejoice. Rejoice. Is your heart full of joy today? Are you somehow enamored with the troubles of life and it somehow has taken that joy away? God wants to restore that joy today. For all who will be taken, whoever's a taker in this place today, God wants to release that in your heart and life. His spirit will release it. That's what God's saying today. If you haven't made that commitment to the Lord, I'm not talking about necessarily it's saying, well, Jesus, you know, I've asked you to come in my life. If someone here has never asked Jesus to come in their life, and today, if you knew you would die, would you know where you're going? A lot of people do say it's because, well, I've been pretty good. God's good God, and he's God of love. He never sends anybody to hell. No, he doesn't send them to hell. We make the choice to reject him. Jesus is the only way to heaven. If you've never made that decision, 
today would be the day and just open your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. I want to follow you. My life is a mess. And I just open my heart to you right now and ask you to come in. And then maybe somebody here again, I always say this. Maybe you've never really said, I want to be a follower of you. I'm t- I want to put the Lord, place the Lord be- before me at all times. Maybe it would be today. You say, I want to do that every day. I want to walk with you and talk with you along life's narrow, narrow way. He walks with me and he talks with me. And so that may be the day in saying, a lot of commitments can be made in here if the Lord has taken knocking on your heart's door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man I open the door, I'll come in and have that communion with him. He's talking to the church. Do we want him? I mean, he's not act, he didn't act the way I thought he would act. But let me tell you what, he blessed me. It's been tough. And I know it's been hard for you. But today is the day you come back and say, Jesus, cleanse me, forgive me. I want you as Lord. I want to renew my relationship. I want to begin again. You see, he is the God of new beginnings. Always. If we just open our heart, he's waiting. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, your truth. Thank you, Lord, today for your presence in this place. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your power. And dear God, today we pray. We just a little, we know in these, these short time together in these four walls are just a be- beginning. We ask you to go with us. We know you will, that we be aware of your presence when we leave this place this day. If there are decisions being made today, we ask you, Lord, they would testify publicly and share with the body of Christ what Jesus is doing. I ask you to bless each and every person here. I bless each and every person in this place in the name of Jesus. I bless you with encouragement this day. I bless you with God's overwhelming presence in each of your lives today to sweep through this congregation in a powerful way. We love you, Jesus. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.